Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Si 
J.M. in the A.M. Ophinet with Mkomcha here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, before that, you heard Avarachman, that was Tzvi Silberstein, A.B.D. had Olenu, Gamki Elech from Eli Gerstner, Schlockrock, Eliyahu Anavi, Nafshi, performed by Simcha Liner, that's brand new, and of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Wednesday on this May 22nd, the 17th of E.R., final day of our Sphere format. For 5779, day 32. Today is day number 32. Lave Ba Omer and Dr. Mark Singer, as is our tradition, will join us coming up in the 7 o'clock hour to speak about Lave the Heart. Uh, it's day 32 in the counting of the Omer, four weeks and four days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. 57 degrees, 50% humidity, winds are west at 5 miles an hour, mostly sunny and a high temperature of 76. Then tonight, showers late and a low of 60. 
Tomorrow, thunderstorms and a high Thursday, 73 degrees. 92 in Yerushalayim. Wow. We're at 57 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Thanks to those of you who've supported our spring fundraiser so far. Much appreciated. Uh, a lot of people still getting their envelopes back to us, and we thank you very, very much for keeping us going here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Those of you who uh, are inclined to do the same, you can go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and support us in that fashion. And we thank you very, very much. 29 minutes before 7 o'clock, Lag Baomer tomorrow. Lag Baomer tomorrow. I've already gotten some reaction to my Facebook post where I wrote, Listeners, what song must be in the JM and the AM Lagba Omer special on Thursday morning. Um, so let's see. Tzvi Lampert writes, Amr Rabbi Akiva from Mordechai Ben David. Rabbi Shimon from Barry Weber. Arnie says, we didn't start the Mangal from the Yom uh, <laughs> song that came out. <laughs> uh, oh, and then Shlomo Zwickler has a whole conversation about that song. Uh, eighth Day's Bar Yochai was uh, suggested by Gedalia Levin, and we just posted it. So this is going to get uh, more and more traction throughout the day. I hope everybody out there has an opinion and tosses in a suggestion. We'll try to get to as many of those suggestions as possible tomorrow during our JM in the AM Lagba Omer music blowout. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, it's always great to transition back from a Sphira format to a Lagba Omer regular format. So tomorrow right here at JM in the AM. It's a Wednesday at 28 minutes before 7 o'clock. This one, brand new from Ari Goldwag at JM in the AM. It's gonna be a good day No matter what comes down my way Today's gonna be a good day No matter what comes down my way Cause I've got something burning inside And I've already made up my mind Today's gonna be a good day No matter what comes down my way Today's gonna be a good day No matter what comes down my way Cause I've got something burning inside And I've already Sunshine clears the clouds away Today's the day I'm gonna say You keep tomorrow, I'll take today Today's the day I'm a-okay Sunshine clears the clouds away Today's the day I'm gonna pray To keep on singing as the music plays Oh-oh-oh-oh Ha 
Shabbos with a beautiful song. The Chazan had a voice that was clear and strong. He sang out his one all Shabbos long. Then Marib came again, I had to be moving on. Shabbos was carried on a song. Whoa, I asked the man, I saw how many Jews in this town. He said to me, there used to be a million around. But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down. Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found. Won't you stay with us for Shabbos? Oh, my. 
Yeah. 
But we just close our eyes and ears to everything he'd say. And all we like to do is sit and watch our TV sets. We talk about the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Mets. Ba, ba, ba. Ba, ba, ba. When Lockwood Omer came around, it was time to play that game. Against those boys from Brooklyn, how we prayed it wouldn't rain. Old line of us got on the bus with our gloves and bats. Rebby also came along with his jacket, tie, and hat. Right from the start, we all could see things were going right. Some big strong kid from Bensonhurst had hit one out of sight. And just when things were looking up, the tide about to turn. Our catcher went and broke his leg while sliding into third. It's a forfeit by the other team. You've only got eight guys. No, we no, don't. A deep voice said, much to our surprise. Since I am near Remy, well, the fair thing it would seem is let me be the ninth man. The ninth man on the team. Revy went to dump a bat, faced the pitcher with a smile. Knocked the cover off that ball, went about half a mile. He flew around the bases, scored the winning run. We danced and cheered until he said, Now boys, you owe me one. Next day in the classroom, no one moved and no one stirred. Revy started teaching and his voice, it could be heard. We all said, hey, it's interesting. Manny's no bore. The legendary side bombs were gone forevermore. Revy used to teach us Torah each and every day. We opened up our eyes and ears to everything he'd say. And no more did we sit all day and watch our TV sets. We talk about the Rashi, the Tosfos, and the Mets. I figured we'd play the uh, the a cappella version of the song today on the day before Lock Bohmer, and then tomorrow I assume the uh, regular well-known classic by Journeys will get on the air at some point between 6 and 9, I would assume, if we're going to do the Lock Bohmer special the way it should be done. <laughs> I'm challenging myself on the air. <laughs> so that's Leif Tahar with the ninth man. Uh, you heard Leif Tahar done by 613, and then Leif Tahar, the group, had like Coles Mann, Minion Man with Schlock Rock, and of course Ari Goldwag, brand new with Today's the Day off of Acapella Soul, volume number six. It's day 32 in the counting of the Omer, four weeks and four days. You forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Earlier today, I posted asking our listeners what song must be in the JMDM Log Omer special tomorrow. A lot of great uh, comments and suggestions so far. If you want to go to Facebook, to my profile, you can 
go ahead and um, and check out the question and post an answer. I um, I saw the uh, post that listener Cena uh, put on Facebook about supporting us here at JMM, and I thank her very much. If you want to be one of those who, in fact, is supporting us here at JMM, go to fjbunity.org fjbunity.org and participate in our spring fundraiser and I thank you. More coming up from JM in the AM. Shayibane, 
J.M. and the A.M. with Leif Tahar and Loa Lecha to wrap up the hour here at J.M. and the A.M. It is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Do we have Gali Tzal in the background? I thought we had our news here in the background. I guess not. Hmm. No, I know that I know that, that sounds like the newscast, but that's not it. Hopefully we'll have it up in a second and we'll be able to present it here at JMM at the top of the hour. There we go. Logba Omer tomorrow. Make sure to be tuned in. Our Logba Omer special includes some amazing music between 6 and 9. We will try very hard to get in here as early as possible tomorrow and start a bonus JM in the 5 o'clock hour. Those of you, especially in Israel, and those of you who tend to wake up early, keep that in mind that hopefully, hopefully, by sometime in the 5 o'clock hour, we will begin our live presentation of the Lagba Omer special. And um, we'll have a great Thursday tomorrow because, after all, it's Lagba Omer. Today, on this final day of our Sphere format, we have a great Wednesday for you, including Bite Size with Yoni Pollock at 9 a.m., our community with the United Task Force at 10 a.m., and the live lunch with Avrami. At 11 a.m. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JMM. היועץ המשפטי לממשלה מנדלבליט הודיע על דחיית השימוע לראש הממשלה נתניהו בשלושה חודשים. כתובתנו מוריה אסף. מנדלבליט הודיע לעורך דינו של נתניהו המתחדד כי הוא מוכן לדחות את השימוע בעניינו בשלושה חודשים. השימוע יתקיים בשניים ובשלושה באוקטובר, ואם יהיה צורך ייקבע מועד נוסף. נתניהו ביקש מהיועץ דחייה של שנה שלמה. הבקשה הזו סורבה בטענה כי מהלך כזה יפגע באינטרס הציבורי של קבלת החלטה בתיק מהר ככל האפשר. תשעה חשודים בהם שני עובדי רשות האוכלוסין נעצרו בחשד שפעלו להאריך את אשרת השהייה של עובדים זרים בתמורה לשוחד. כתבתנו אינן טונוב. שני עובדי הרשות חשודים בכך שהנפיקו אשרות שהייה לעובדים זרים באופן לא חוקי ובתמורה לתשלום. העובדים הזרים נדרשו לשלם אלפי דולרים למעסיקים מתחזים שהעבירו חלק מהכספים לעובדי הרשות באמצעות החשודים הנוספים שעבדו כמתווכים. בית המשפט צפוי להאריך את מעצרם של התשעה בהמשך היום. שבוע למועד האחרון להרכבת הממשלה, ראש הממשלה נתניהו ייפגש עם ראשי הסיעות במטרה להביא לפריצת דרך במשא ומתן הקואליציוני. לפני זמן קצר סיים נתניהו פגישה עם יושב ראש ש"ס אריה דרעי, והמשך היום הוא צפוי להיפגש עם יושב ראש ישראל ביתנו אביגדור ליברמן. כתבנו הפוליטי מיכאל האוזר טוב מוסר כי גורמים פוליטיים טוענים כי הושגה בשעות האחרונות התקדמות כלשהי במגעים. פרשת המעונות הסתיימה ללא הכרעה הפגישה בין נציגי הפרקליטות לבין עורכי דינה של שרה נתניהו. במסגרת הניסיונות להגיע להסדר טיעון, נקבע דיון נוסף ביום שני הבא. שימו לב, כביש אחת נחסם עכשיו לתנועה ממחלף מוצא למערב בעקבות שריפה. ולג בעומר איתנו ממש עוד מעט, עוד ועוד מועצות מקומיות מחליטות לאסור הדלקת מדורות בשטחן בעקבות מזג האוויר. תפסר חיים תמם, ראש אגף הגנה מאש ברשות הכבאות, מזהיר בריאיון ביומן הצהריים בגלי צה"ל, 
מי שלא יציית לצו הגבלת המדורות, חשוף לתביעה. השילוב הזה של שנה ברוכה בגשם, שגרם לתמחייה רבה וטמפרטורות גבוהות, משאב רוחות ויובש, הוא שילוב מסוכן מאוד, ולכן יש סיכון להתפשטות של שרפה. המטרה שלנו היא הצלת חיים. אין כוונה שהכבאים ילכו וייתנו את הקנסות האלה שדיברתי עליהן. ומזג האוויר, מחר ומחרתיים עלייה נוספת בטמפרטורות עם עומסי חום קיצוניים. ולסיום, ל"ג בעומר קצת אחרת. כ-50 הורים והורות שכולים יציינו הלילה את ל"ג בעומר במדורה עם הקהילה היהודית במילאנו. זאת כחלק ממסע של עמותת אור למשפחות. הנה יושבת ראש העמותה, סגן אלוף במילואים, עירית אורן גונדרס. המטרה שלנו זה להעניק רגעי חסד להורים. להתרחק, לשאוף אוויר, זה בעצם תערובת מאוד מאוד מיוחדת של לתת כוח ולקבל כוחות. אלה החדשות שעורכת שירה נאות. Yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. <clears throat> Boy, we are really playing a lot of Lave to Har this morning on the final day of our Sphere format, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I certainly would say so. That is the Good Morning Medley for off of Lave to Har volume number three here at J.M. in the A.M. Eight minutes after seven o'clock. Remember, we posted on Facebook earlier this morning that we are looking for song suggestions for tomorrow's Lagba Omer special. What songs must be in a JM and the AM Log Bomber music special. What must we play tomorrow morning between, let's say, 5.30 and 9 a.m. Eastern time? So you can go to Facebook, my profile, Nahum Siegel, and you could uh, see that post and comment on it and toss in whatever suggestion you wish, or you could uh, be in touch with us via the app. Somebody on the app this morning, The Klein, wrote, Boker Tov, can't have a fabulous Log Bomber without Yoharam Gaon. Hmm. It's a good suggestion. Maybe we'll work uh, Mr. Gaon, the star of the Jewish Unity Initiative 2015 Paris concert, into our uh, repertoire for tomorrow. That would be pretty cool. We'll see if we could do that. Uh, so if you have a suggestion, utilize any one of those methods and uh, let us know what you want to hear. And make sure to be tuned in tomorrow morning. It's going to be a big one. Log Bomer, after all. We do the music right every single day. Logba Omer, we really, really do it right. <laughs> so make sure to be tuned in right here at JM in the AM. More coming up. We said we're sticking with Leif Tahar for a while. Here they are at JM in the AM. <laughs> Shai Mary Israel, 
J.M. in the A.M. Shomer Yisrael, you know, uh, the one above obviously watches over Israel, but we have an obligation to watch over ourselves as well. And that's a good segue for our first guest this morning on J.M. in the A.M. For the last God knows how many years, uh, we have been featuring Dr. Mark Singer, our dear friend, who is a cardiologist and a great one at that, on Lave Baomer. Lave, of course, twenty excuse me, 32nd day of the Omer, but Lave means heart. So we've always used the opportunity to give him a chance to say something about good heart-healthy uh, habits and activities. It is, I believe, it, I think it's the first time Dr. Mark is on the air since his wedding to Toby back in December. 
Last Lev Baomer, he was single. This Lev Baomer, he is Baruch Hashem married. And I'm going to use this opportunity to say Mazal Tov to Toby and Dr. Mark from all of us here at JM and the AM. Doc, are you ready to accept our Mazal Tov wishes on this Lev Baomer? With a smile and gratitude. <laughs> Thank you so very much. What a difference a year makes, huh? <laughs> Total change of heart. <laughs> Well, not really. You did follow your heart. It's just a little bit of a change in life. That's all. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's good. Make your heart for someone. <laughs> it's great to have you on, and to it wish. It's truly an honor to wish everyone and all of the listeners a happy Leib Baomer. You know, with all this stuff, wedding talk, Leib Baomer being a holiday, as you've declared it, maybe we should just allow weddings on this Leib Baomer, and you know, start the whole log Baomer thing a day early. Nothing like. Finding a to All right, folks. I'm just kidding. I don't want to know. I don't want anyone to you know to revolt against JM and the AM. I'm just kidding. We're gonna wait till tomorrow to celebrate and get the music really rolling. All right. Um. You know, every year I give you an opportunity to toss out a tidbit. This time I want to lead you, if you don't mind. Um, Please. You know that there's always these this whole issue of heart healthy foods, right? We you and I always talk about diet and exercise, obviously being the two main things when people want to pay more attention to their heart and its health. But we always read and hear through our regular media about heart-healthy foods. It could be greens or whole grain or berries or avocado, fish, beans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know the whole list. And I'm wondering, sure. and I'm, here's my question. I'm wondering if someone like yourself and your colleagues take that stuff seriously or those lists are really for the consumers and the regular folks. And when you read your medical journals and get all the latest studies, uh, all that stuff doesn't make much of a difference. How would you describe uh, how we view these lists and information and the way professionals like yourselves do? I think we take everything in context. We have to look at the patient, how they're doing. There's some people who are more prone to heart disease and have to be extra super careful. There are people who have naturally uh, inclination against heart disease, so therefore they can be a little freer in their diet. Um, so you're not cynical. You're not cynical when you see consumer lists come out or consumer, you know, studies like when you know you'll be watching the news one night and all of a sudden, you know, butter is not good for you, and the next night butter is good for you. You, you don't you don't roll your eyes at that. You just you know, you you just look at it more in, more in depth down the road than the rest of us would. Sure. So many things are moving target. One of the classic things has been, for example, whether or not someone should take an aspirin. Right. Prevent heart disease, right. and that 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 barometer has moved from both sides of the issue. Um, I think you have to look at whether or not they've got other risk factors. What kind of shape they're in? Do they have other disease that you have to worry about the bleeding risks of aspirin, or is it worth the beyond to prevention? And that's why you just can't get your medical care off a television station. You have to individualize it with the guidance of a good physician. You know, you just explained why not only TV, but you've also explained why Dr. Google is probably not the best way to go and that people shouldn't think that they could diagnose themselves or others just by searching for different uh, for searching for different facts and opinions on the web. We will always remember that an educated consumer can be our best patient. Right. Uh, so people come in with good questions, good research, and good suggestions, but it has to be taken with the appropriate uh, jaundiced eye and read in context of the patient and current literature. 
You're going to find Dr. Mark Singer is with us, of course, uh, his first uh, married Leif Boomer, <laughs> as I pointed out earlier, uh, as we talk about the heart here at JMNAM. Uh, you're going to find it funny that I say this because you know that I'm, I'm best at avoiding it, uh, but, but the best thing that one can do then is to make a, an appointment at their cardiologist or general internist and start examining some of these things, some of these factors, especially as all of us get older because, as you just said, the more personal the diagnosis, the more personal the analysis, the better a medical professional can serve a consumer. Uh, not only that, but you can get positive feedback. I mean, these wonderful doctor apps, you can check your heart rate, you can check your blood pressure, right. um, but there are certain things that just need to be seen, integrated, and packaged that can be done in a doctor's office that cannot be done on a smartphone, no matter how smart the phone is or dumb the doctor is. <laughs> Very good way of putting it. Um, all right, so, I, I mean, as usual, the message always is diet and exercise, and we always use this day to remind people about paying more attention to it, but I guess we can give an additional message this year. Uh, number one, make the appointment, and number two, uh, try to get as much personal attention in all these areas as possible. Don't rely on all the general stuff that comes out. As I said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, when, when these announcements are made and they're consumer-driven, it's an interesting piece of information, but as it relates to a specific patient, only a professional can make that decision, or at least make an educated decision uh, for that patient. As always, well put, Malcolm Siegel. I appreciate that, Doc. Uh, enjoy the show tomorrow. We know you love Lav Baomer, but hey, let's not forget the fact that you love all the music on Log Baomer as well. And not only on the show, but on the stream and all day long. Exactly. So, on behalf of Claudia Swell, <laughs> thank you, Nachum Siegel. And model tub to Nachum Siegel and the entire Siegel family as well. Baruch Hashem, uh, your family and ours have had, an, and, and so many others, Baruch Hashem, have had an opportunity to celebrate a lot of wonderful things recently. It should just keep going. Kane Yerbu, as they say. Amen. Thanks so much, Doc, and happy Lave Baomer. Chag to you and all the listeners. <laughs> yes, Chag Now we're really stretching it. Chag <laughs> to you, you to you as well. And thank you for the good wishes. Obviously, Doc is uh, referring to Benjamin and Kayla and their recent engagement, and we should all celebrate Smachot together. Wednesday morning broadcast. It's it's Leif Baomer. You can't forget this one, folks. It's sort of like tonight in shul when no one can uh, can ask what day is it because they know they know what to count. We've extended that whole practice to Lave Baomer. You know, if it's the day before Lag Baomer, then we're at day 32 in the counting of the Omer. Four weeks and four days. Ooh, doesn't the heart have four chambers? And it's four weeks and four days? Hmm. I'm going to have to save that one for next year for Dr. Mark Singer. More coming up at JM in the AM. Just a deaf man in the stable, and to everyone's surprise, he comes to truly Shabbos and he prays with tear-filled eyes. His son, he is the chazan, though his voice he's never heard, but he sits there enjoying every Watches every motion, every gesture that he makes, and he stays till the very end, however long it takes. And when the davening is 
over. He's the first to reach his son. And the deaf man in the steeple says, Well done. Now it's right before Yom Kippur in the steeple there is fear. They want to start committing on the paths and still not there. Oh, the shul is filled with people as the night begins to fall. But the deaf man's chair stands empty by the wall. Then suddenly the chazan, he comes rushing through the door. He's wearing his white chazan's hat he's never worn before. He pauses for a moment at his father's empty chair. And quietly he wipes away a tear. And he runs up to the bima, for there's no time left to wait. And half the shoe can hear the rabbi ask, How come so late? Oh, just getting ready for Yom Kippur is all he'd say. But now I'm going up to pray. And he takes his place around it by the holy tone ring. And in a voice so beautiful, he begins to sing. Oh, every heart was broken. And when he finished davening, the rabbi asked to tell What was it he was thinking of that made him sing so well? Well, you knew my dad was deaf, he said Last night he passed away It's the first time that my father's heard me pray And he takes his place around it By the holy Torah And in a voice so beautiful He begins to sing Oh, every heart was broken Oh, and every soul burned bright from his college rain at Yom Kippur night. Oh, every heart was broken. Oh, and every soul burned bright. From his college rain at Yom Kippur night.
J.M. in the A.M. Wednesday with Didda Bay. Final day of our Sphera format as we get set for Log Bomer tomorrow. I posted on Facebook asking for what songs must be included in tomorrow's Log Bomer special. So if you want to toss in a comment either on Facebook, on my profile, or on our app, feel free to do so. Listener Chaya says today's music lineup is so singable. Upbeat, drive to work, J.M. car karaoke thank you for that although i don't know i don't know if, I, if i'll brag about it during the sphere of format but thank you for that uh listener dale says the ninth man is an appropriate title for log bomber yeah but that's why we did the ninth man today acapella style tomorrow we'll try to include it regular style of course and the highest says log bomber lineup needs not only the ninth man on the team also the sequel the east bums rematch can serve as a reminder to take care of our lave on log bomber yeah and i'd have to find that I don't know how easily accessible. I think it was on a cassette uh, somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. They did it at a Hass concert, right, if I'm not mistaken. If anybody has that, feel free to just send it to us, either to me, Nahum at NahumSiegel.com, or Avrami, AF at NahumSiegel.com. It would be cool to get the sequel on tomorrow. If you have the sequel to The Ninth Man, um, not everyone knows about it, but the, those of us who do know that it's a, a really, really cool and a good selection. So I'd appreciate it if you would take the effort to, or make the effort to get that to us. Uh, day 32 in the counting of the Omer. It's um, a Wednesday morning broadcast. And uh, tomorrow, of course, as I keep saying, our Logba Omer is special. Make sure to be tuned in, tuned in and enjoy. Our spring fundraiser is in full swing. I want to thank those who've been sending in donations by mail. And I want to thank those who've been going to the web at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Thank you so much for heading to the web and supporting us. Go to fjbunity.org and participate in our spring fundraiser. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Echonishmas Arav Zeb, and Echonishmas Esther Basar, here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. During the days of Sfira Saomer, the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died in a plague. Unlike Baomer, the 33rd day of the Omer, the epidemic was suspended. The day also marks the passing of the great Tana, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He instructed his Talmidim to commemorate the day as a Yom Hailula, a day of celebration. It is traditional to light bonfires in observance of this day. The Sefer Man Amoid comments on the custom of lighting torches and bonfires. He explains that it's in commemoration of the powerful fire that surrounded the house of the great Tana at the time he revealed the hidden teachings of the Torah. The intensity and brilliance of the light was so strong that those that were gathered in his presence could not look at the face of Rabbi Shimon Yochai. On the day of his passing, the fire continued to burn and preceded the body of Rabbi Shimon Yochai. He points out, that the concept of the fire has even broader implications. It's related in Chagiga, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was once riding on a donkey led by Rabbi Loser ben Aroch. 
Rebbe Lozer said to him, Rebbe, allow me to say something concerning the Maisa Merkava, the hidden part of the Torah. Rebbe Yochanan told him to proceed, and he got off from his donkey. He covered himself and sat on a stone. Rebbe Lozer asked him, why did you get off the donkey? Rebbe Yochanan answered him, you're expounding on the Maisa Merkava. The Shechina, the Divine Presence, is with us. The angels, the Malochim, are escorting us, and I should ride on my donkey? Rebbe Lozer began to give his discourse on the secrets of Torah. A fire descended from the heavens and surrounded all the trees in the field. The Malach, amid the fire, said, Indeed, this is the Maisa Merkava. When Hashem revealed Himself to Moshe Rabbeinu, the first time He appeared, was in the burning bush. Later at Harsinai, the Torah tells us that the mountain was aglow with fire. Following the construction of the Mishkan, we learned that the Shechina descended in a fire and consumed the Korbanos. We understand that the greatness and the holiness of the day of Lagba Omer is beyond our comprehension. It is the lighting of the fire that helps us to remember the great Sadikim, the great Noshim Tzidkonios, and the Torah that they were able to bring into this world. Similarly, when Elio Anovi ascended to Shemayim, he was taken by a chariot of fire and horses of fire. May the fire lit on Lagba Omer help all of us to rekindle the light, the fire of Torah inside of us, with even greater enthusiasm and greater excitement for the coming holiday of Shavuos. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
I'm at a payphone, don't have a cell phone. All of that changed one day last June. Went to the LCF, I said it's city field bleachers. Heard lots of speeches, all 602. Out there is crazy. The Kindle, iPhone, Roku. It's harder to try to choke you. You need a K9 filter. No, it's Nishta Poodle. It blocks YouTube and Twitter. From Mashkiach while you Google. Ay, 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 I need a cushion phone. My me live today. He would break all of the tablets. Wanna steal the Persian? Don't update your Facebook status. If you want to end this goodness, boy, so long and bitter. A.K.A. Pella. They call up. Uh, they call that. Hang up the payphone. Before that, Halila with A.K.A. Pella at JM the Amp. Final day of our sphere reform out on a Wednesday. It's JM and the Amp. By the way, I got to thank Rebietz and I got to thank all the other listeners <laughs> that have proven <laughs> that have proven how I am not as uh, I am not as uh, what's the word? I am not as much of an expert in Jewish music as I think I am. Because aside from that Hask live presentation that was done years ago, and that probably, according to Rabbi is on YouTube somewhere, and I think he's right about that. Um, aside from that, the Ninth Man volume number two is on Journeys 4. So we ha- I can't believe it. I know Journeys 4, and I can't believe it's on there. But he's right. I have it right here. So tomorrow you'll hear the Ninth Man and Bezrat Hashem, the Ninth Man follow-up, the sequel uh, the Ninth Man, Volume 2, here at JMNAM during our Lagba Omer special. If you have any suggestions of what needs to be in our Lagba Omer special, it's an annual tradition. You can go to Facebook, to Nahum Siegel on Facebook, check out my post asking for suggestions, and suggest away. Um, let's see. Oh, boy, people have some good suggestions. People have some good suggestions, I must say. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but there's some good ones. I'm looking on Facebook. Also, you could use the NSN app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away uh, with, um, you know, with whatever you want uh, in terms of uh, suggesting the ninth man. Ah, so Producer Man. wonder who Producer Man is. The Producer Man says on our app... That it's on Hask 19, so that's the one that it's on. It's on the DVD of Hask 19. That's why I think it's on the uh, it's on YouTube, frankly. And uh, yeah, and some people are commenting, as you would imagine, since we <laughs> since we just discovered it the way we did, that it's on Journeys Volume Number Four, and we hope to use that version tomorrow. Rabbi Kanelsky um, contacted me earlier in the week. The Lagba Omer Barbecue with all the trimmings happens tomorrow starting at 5 p.m. at Phil Rizzuto Park, Morris Avenue in Elizabeth, New Jersey. There'll be music, a barbecue, games, prizes, fun for the whole family. There'll be a bounce house, an obstacle course, plenty of sports, admissions free. The barbecue food is for purchase, and it's happening tomorrow at 5 p.m. at Phil Rizzuto Park. Check out Lagba Omer with Brissav Rum and Rabbi Kanelsky's congregation. Again, Phil Rizzuto Park, Morris Avenue in Elizabeth, tomorrow starting at 5 PM, a reminder from all of us here at JM 
in the AM. There's a brand new book out there. It's called Widen Your Tent. Widen Your Tent, Thoughts on Life, Integrity, and Joy. It is based on Rav Shimon Shkup's introduction to Shara Yosher, and it's written by Rabbi Micha Berger, uh, Rabbi Micha Berger's teacher at Yeshivas Rabbeinu Yitzchak Alchanan. Rav David Lifshitz ignited him in him a dream to infuse Jewish observance with love, Musser and grounding in Jewish thought. To that end, Rai Berger established the Aish Das Society. Aish Das assists synagogues and institutions develop meaningful programming and has been hosting the Avodah Discussion Forum for over 20 years. Rabbi Berger has also been teaching for the Musser Institute since its inception. He has spoken to audiences of a variety of backgrounds about Jewish thought, Musser, and the Siddur. His work has been described in many, many media. Uh, outlets, and we get a chance to get them on our media outlet right now. It's a Mosaica Press distributed by Feldheim Release. It's called Widen Your Tent, and Rabbi Berger and I know each other for much longer than either of us would care to admit. Rabbi Micha Berger, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. <laughs> you like that, huh? Longer than either of us care to admit. Um, most of us, I would assume in this audience, are unfamiliar with Rav Shimon Shkup's introduction to Shara Yosher. Could you at least first tell us what is Shara Yosher? Okay, so Shara Yosher is a book on the um, details of ascertaining truth when you need to decide a halachic question. Uh, when is it okay to rely on majority, um, testimony of witnesses, uh, various presumptions that the Talmud said we could rely on, uh, that may be applicable in one place or in another place, and really has very little um, to do with the topic of the book, although there is some overlap because it all comes from one mind. And, and his attitude toward the world is reflected in the content of the book. So it's interesting because the before we get to the intro, which is obviously your focus, the book is like a procedural book. Shari Osher sounds like it's a, a book that guides us how to establish a system of guidance, how to establish a system of SOC, and, and when you could rely on what system. Right. So that's that's the, uh, you know, the buzzword that throws around are Chazaka and Rove and right. and Sveik and, and, um, and all these technical jargon right. of halacha. And one of the sad things is that when we, when we leap into um, studying a topic, we go right to the first chapter of the book. Right. And the introduction of the book is usually where the author presents his worldview. Um, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily what every introduction is about, but in this case it is. He presents his worldview and where this book fits in that broader picture. So it, it's maybe, you know, six pages of material, uh, the introduction itself, but he literally covers. Um, topics like why did God create man? Um, why did he give the Jewish people the Torah? Um, so you've written a 400-page book about six pages. Well, because it's a 400-page book on um, why are we here? Right. Uh, what are we supposed to do with the Torah? What does holiness mean? Um, why, you know, how do we achieve holiness in a world where you got to spend so much of your time at a job? Is this your discovery, or others have made a big deal about Rav Shimon Shkup's introduction in the past? Well, what actually happened was I have a friend named uh, Rabbi Yosef Gavriel Bechafer, and he um, 
he told me that he described it to me as the um, the greatest work of Jewish thought of the last 125 years. Wow! In reference and in reference to the introduction. In reference to the introduction. So I picked up the introduction. At the time, um, I wasn't yet at the Musser Institute, but I was with Eshtas, and it had so much material to use and to teach from that it, it's, it's become, you know, if I may use a little self-deprecating humor, it's become a monomania of mine. It's, it's sort of become its own curriculum, it sounds like. Yes. Well, it's literally a text that tells you how to live and why. Unbelievable, right? Micha Berger is with us. He's author of the book, Widen Your Ten, Thoughts on Life, Integrity, and Joy. You know, Widen Your Ten to us, before we looked at the book, sounded like a, a book about unity, about uh, accepting others, about uh, widening one's scope of thought and, and tolerance. But that, I, I don't think that's exactly what this is. How would you uh, describe to us why this book has a title, uh, it, which which is Widen Your Tent? So, um, one of the more quoted thoughts from the introduction to Shari Osher, one of the more quoted thoughts is his notion on how to measure a soul. So, if you need to, um, let's say, provide for your children, um, it's relatively easy to place their priorities very high up, and parents sacrifice for their children all the time, because you see your children as an extension of yourself. Right. When you say, I me, me, you really don't just mean your body. If you're, you know, if you're a holy person, you mean your body and your soul. And then from your body and your soul, you start thinking your wife, your children. Now, what Rav Shimon points out is... Um, if you're if you're truly a giving person, then your neighbors enter the sphere of me, and it's not a self-sacrifice um, attitude that you bring toward helping your neighbors. It's we are all ani. This is my ani. It's my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my friends. It's my relatives. It's my um, you know until you get to the person who sees the entire Jewish people and themselves as part of the Jewish people, and therefore can bring, obviously not to the same extent as for their children, and we're not expected to do that, but they can bring that selfish selflessness to giving to the Jewish people. And then he goes on, and to humanity, and to all of creation. And he says the measure of a person's soul is the number of people that they include when they mean ani. And that, and and one one could then surmise that when it comes to, for instance, statements like or psukim like vahafta l'orecha kamocha, that he, that he would uh, he would apply he would try to apply that as seriously as possible to every member of the Jewish people. He does. In fact, he comments that vahafta l'orecha kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself, is literally is is exactly literally what he's trying to. Uh, Express right, and, as and, the way to be given. And based on what you just said moments ago, b- b- even more literally might be uh, act toward your neighbor as you would toward a family member, meaning take them, take your responsibility toward them as seriously as you would to your own to your own family. Yes. Pretty interesting, right? Micha Berger is with us. Where did he get this? Rav Shimon Shkup, I mean, for those of us who are a little bit familiar with, you know, <laughs> recent Jewish history, um, you know, he's a product of Mir and Volazhin. Uh, you don't always think that products of that environment will have 
such a, a, a spiritual type book. I think people know what I mean by that. I don't mean any disrespect, but I think you know what I mean by that. What is it in his background, do you think, that got him on this road? Well, there are two things um, about Rav Shimon Shkup that sort of lean this way. Uh, the, the, the more minor one is actually that he shaped, to a very large extent, he shaped Tells. You know, generally people study Talmud, and if, if I had gone to the Rav Shir, if I've gone to your Rav Yashir Ber Shir, I would have learned how to analyze Talmud and Halacha using the Brisker Derech. Right. He invented something that is generally called the Telzer Derech during his years teaching in Tels for his uncle. And, um, and in the Telzer Derech, there's more of an emphasis on the why than the Brisker Derech has. And that emphasis on why, in fact, until they also had things called she'ure da'as, which are, um, you know, philosophical uh, talks given by the Rosh Hashiva, um, although their philosophy was very Musar-influenced. Um, I wouldn't call it part of the Musar movement, but it was very Musar-influenced philosophy. It was very interpersonal philosophy. So would it be fair to say that the, that the, that the brisker method was more into the what and analyze the what tremendously, and then the Telzer method, as you just said, analyze the why more than that? Would that be a... Uh, yeah, that, there was a cliche in Yiddish that uh, the briskers ask vas, and the Telzers ask farvas, which is exactly what you said. The mm. briskers ask what, and the, uh, and the Telzers <laughs> ask why. The other, the other um, thing that we, I, we find is that his, um, his grandson writes in a biography that he patterned his life after Rav Yisrael Salanters, mm. even down to where Shimon Shkup spent a year teaching in Yeshiva University. Right. And, late, um, late 1920s, for those of you who... Uh, right? Am I right? It was late 1920s? Yeah, yes, late 1920s. And um, he came to America to raise funds for his Yeshiva in Grudna and stayed. Um, there, was a, there, there was a vacuum when Rav Moshe Salvechi passed away. Right. And um, so he... Um, he likened it to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter after establishing Musar in in um, Lithuania, moving to Germany and France to try to reach out to where um, Judaism was weaker and the forces of assimilation were taking over and trying to reach out to the people there. Um, that's not to say that he thought Yeshiva University, well, what we now call Yeshiva University, was that place. Right. But he felt a need to train rabbis who were going to be dealing with that community because he saw himself um, as uh, as following Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's model. Hmm. Rabbi Micha Berger's book is called Widen Your Ten Thoughts on Life, Integrity, and Joy, based on Rav Shimon Shkup's introduction to Shari Yosher. It's almost impossible, Rabbi Berger, in this conversation, it's a short conversation, to go through everything that, uh, that you and, in turn, obviously, Rav Shimon Shkup discusses in, the, in his introduction. But you've already told us about holiness. You've told us about attitude toward others. Uh, you have a chapter you call sharing. I guess that that's part of it, right, in terms of um, sharing one's... Uh, um, well, sharing one's gifts, whether right. it's, it's um, in his case, because he's introducing a book of Torah, sharing one's Torah, sharing one's um, secular knowledge he discusses, um, sharing one's wealth is a little obvious. And, right. <laughs> and, and, and those are some of the uh, subjects that are, that are covered. But also, uh, toward the end, you talk about appreciation and thankfulness and going through one's day 
um, you know, working on that type of Mida. Can you address how Rav Shimon Shkup discussed uh, what one's attitude should be, both in terms of thankfulness to the one above and thankfulness to life in general? So, um, because Rav Shimon Shkup so defines the nature and function of the soul in terms of relationships and connections, um, I think he sees the, I threw in that I think because this is somewhat conjectural. Right. Um, it's not actually written out right. in, in the original. So it's, it's in the book, but it's, it's extrapolation. I think he sees gratitude as a, um, expressing the awareness that we're linked. And this is, this comes up in a very odd, um, odd bit of, of Jewish grammar that the word vidui, to confess, and the word modet, to thank, and the word modet, to agree, in rabbinic Hebrew, are all the same root. That we are using a, a single Hebrew root to say, I realize I wronged you, and expressing that, to express the fact that I realize you gave to me, and to express the fact that we are both in agreement, and that the word um, lehodot, or lehodos, is to thank in the sense of acknowledging that I don't stand alone, I stand because you stand. And the word vidui is acknowledging that I realize now that I don't stand alone, and when I act, others feel the repercussions. So, apolo- and, so apology is the opposite of thankfulness, or apology is an extension of thankfulness? Uh, well, they're both an awareness of being connected. In one case, I'm acknowledging that I gained from that connection. In another case, I'm acknowledging that I can hurt others and have hurt others with that connection. And in the case of Hakol Modim, we all agree, right. it is just an awareness that we are connected with nobody gaining and nobody losing. Um but it's, it's, Lahodot is a statement of connectedness, which is very important if you think that um, the word Jew, Yehuda, right. Yudim, right. Is, is a statement that says that we are the connected ones. Right. Or some might say the thankful ones. Yes. Um, I don't like this question in all my years doing this, but in this case, I'm going to ask you because I always, <clears throat> I always like to paint. I, I believe accurately that any book I bring on here and every any author I bring on here really is for everybody. But I need you to tell me who will really appreciate this. Who who is who is listening now that will you know really appreciate an analysis of Rav Shimon Shkup's introduction. Uh, again, I I admit and believe me, I want to help you get this into every home possible. But I, I, but I think that there's there's a subset tuned in right now that would that you that you would feel would really gain and would really appreciate this type of work. Who is that? Well, it's obviously for somebody seeking um, some spirituality to their observance. Um, in other words, if if you're exploring the question of uh, meaning and purpose of life in the big picture. Um, and if you're not, that's a whole different conversation we could have had, right. um, because that, that in itself is a large problem that we're having right now. But if you are looking for um, for a big picture, um, this is one that is um, very Lithuanian. <laughs> it's very um, interpersonal. 
It's also if you are the kind of person whose whose Judaism speaks the language of Chesed, of loving kindness, right. that they find religious expression in food drives and so on. This is one that def- actually defines holiness in terms you would relate to. Um, if you are um, just concerned about your character and personality and um, what the Torah would want us to shape ourselves into, um, there's a long discussion of that. But it's really a spirituality that is based on how very brass tacks, tangible, how do we relate to other people picture of the world. And I would add, by the way, <clears throat> if one appreciates and enjoys the mundane in this world and sometimes sees, sees spirituality in it, and I won't give examples this moment, but <clears throat> if one does appreciate the the uh, the spiritual aspect of, of what what are seemingly mundane activities, they would appreciate this book as well. I think if you I think if you want to um, um, uh, if if you want to understand being happy in life, and if you want to be a little bit happier, then this is a good book to read. You agree with that? I hope so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Widen your tent, Rabbi Micha Berger. It's based on Rav Shimon Shkup's introduction to Shariosha. Again, it's called Widen Your Tent. It's a Mosaic Press distributed by Feldheim Release, and I assume it is available everywhere if people just search it online, Rabbi Berger? It is available everywhere. Feldheim is very good at distribution. They certainly are. Um, yes, it is, it is selling even on Amazon, yes. Uh, good luck with this. I'm glad we had you on, and I'm I'm sure this is going to touch a lot of people. Now, we have a three-day untif coming up. I hope they use the opportunity to to sit and really examine your work. Thank you very much. I hope so, too. <laughs> a pleasure to speak with you and to re- reunite in this fashion. It's great to hear your voice again. Greatly appreciate that. 8 o'clock in the morning, Roy Micha Berger, we thank him. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world on the web at NahumSingle.com, on the NahumSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. <laughs> Boy, shoot, I'm 
Wednesday morning. Well, the second annual Nefesh Benefesh Communities Fair brought together representatives from 45 different communities around Israel to assist Olim in finding their ideal neighborhood. As Israel's real estate and housing markets continue to expand, Olim are regularly searching for affordable home buying options in their ideal communities around the country to start their lives. Rachel Berger, director of Post Aliyad, Nefesh Benefesh, was quoted as saying, Olim come from a wide range of backgrounds and have different priorities when searching for a community in Israel. 
Our Israel Communities Fair was created in order for Olim to get a closer look at the diversity of options and affordability that exist in various communities and cities throughout the country. Director of Post Aliyah at Nefesh Benefesh, a wonderful friend of ours, Rachel Berger. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny, and I, you know I don't like comparing Israel to the diaspora, but in this way, just for a moment, um, I know some young people who are looking for housing in the New York, New Jersey area, and there is just, you know, everything's priced out. And again, not to compare, but, you know, obviously the situation in some ways is identical. There are so many traditional, uh, classic communities in Israel that are simply priced out at this point. And I wonder, I, I would guess this is a big part, and I know you're post-Aliyah, not, not pre-Aliyah, but I would guess this is one of the red flags that everybody at NBN really raises with potential Olin, that they've got to be familiar that in a lot of places where they want to live, they're not going to be able to afford to do so, right? So uh, there's a lot of things happening in Israel. One of the things that's most important is that as people come, you know, over the years and you visit, you see that it's not the Israel of the 80s. It's a very, very different scene. The infrastructure and the um, development of trains all over the place and public transportation. The goal is that if you live in Ashkelon, it's going to take you an hour to get to the center. You can go to Karmegat, it's going to take you also 45 minutes to get to the center. Uh, Jerusalem now has that train, 28 minutes uh, for you to get from Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And, and that's really the goal. The goal is to create um, the next stage of Israel, which is you can live wherever you want to live, and still be able to access employment opportunities all over the place. And the other funny thing is that people, um, not only because of remote work, but it's also common that somebody will get a job and they can work three days or four days in the center and two days at home. And that's happening all over the place. Um, There are a lot of opportunities for people to look at uh, properties that, um, you know, get themselves maximum house, be a part of a community that's developing and evolving and growing, and have a high quality of life while still accessing the employment opportunities wherever they may be. And specifically for North Americans, a lot of those communities already have a North American presence, right? Yes, yes. No, it's really to be part of Zionism 201, you know? If we did it 101 in the beginning when we came... You know, everybody could tell you the story. When I came, there was no Makola. When I came, they brought eggs and they sold them from a truck. When I came, there was no electricity. So that's the thing of the past. Rachel Berger with us from Israel. Now, um, the numbers you were using an hour, 45 minutes, you realize that it's a good thing that the North Americans, especially those in New York and New Jersey, that's not an intimidating amount of time at all in no, terms, in terms no, of a commute. No. In Israel, that may be a big deal. To a lot of people here, it's it's practically nothing, knowing that so many people travel 90 minutes to work each day. I'll say it's less of a big deal than it used to be. Right. It's much less of a big deal than it used to be. People today can assume, you know, you cross Jerusalem and it's already an hour. You know, people stop using public transportation and they bike and they um, rollerblade because it, the traffic is so crazy. And we speak to mayors of towns all the time who want to get rid of the traffic, move everything into public transportation, um, and just have the whole thing flow. And it'll happen. It'll happen. You know, if you will it, if you dream it, it will happen. By the way, and, one one other factor that's so different these days is you could do a lot of work 
while you're on public transportation. I, I would assume all these Correct. trains are, are Wi-Fi enabled, and in general, mm-hmm. connectivity in Israel is improving constantly. So you, you really could, yes. could really use that time in a very, very smart fashion. That's right. No, for sure. Look, what was interesting about last night's community fair is we had a demographic of, I would say, 25 to 30-year-olds, right. which was, it was interesting to me. In other words, you usually think that you, maybe your first house is 30 to 35. Right. People were coming who were 25 to 30, and then we also had an older crowd, like a retiree crowd, people who, um, for our retirees that are exploring Naharia because it's a beach town that's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And there is an, you know, an English-speaking club, and Nefesh Benefesh is there, and you have book club, and you have activities together. And um, people are really willing to explore all of these places that many of us you know, are not necessarily familiar with, because they offer good deals, and already it's the second wave. The first wave of Anglos have already come right. and established themselves, and it allows for Anglo-friendly communities, people to integrate within the community as well. I see here that there's interest now, and an uptick in interest, according to this report from last night, in places like Rehovot and Pardes Chana. Someone mm-hmm. just told me they were yeah. going to Rehovot, and I was shocked. And and, yeah. and and there's already, as you just said, already a presence in places like that. Plus, I know that Go Beyond has done a great job, and it's part of the whole Nefesh Benefesh effort to get people to, to the north, south, etc. I know that that's worked really well. But still, when you hear about North American presence in Carmiel and Chadera, and even Naharia that you mentioned, and Negahot and Shoham, and all these places, a lot of it's really hard to believe, frankly, and and some of them, especially, I mean, I know Carmiel because I know some people are up there. I mean, it just continues to grow on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really true. People are looking for, they're looking not for the Modian option. Right. It's, uh, Modian is very, very expensive. And um, Rehovo allows you to have the uh, transportation. It allows you to have access to industry. People who moved, who used to move to Rehovo, it was always science-based because of Weizmann and because of all the medical startups and the biomedical startups. But it's not true anymore, and there are multiple communities there uh, for every single demographic. Um, and we have found more and more people turning to Rehovo. There's new building and there's older building. Um, and people are really trying to tap into that opportunity. Also, it has like a, a, a little bit of a um, very sweet town, you know, a very accepting town. And mm. each place has its own flavor. Right. Uh, a lot of our old men feel very, very, very comfortable there. Mm, interesting. Well, in a lot of places also, in Carmel Hanadiv and Carmel Gat. Um, but um, uh, Rehovot is getting a lot of attention. I'm trying to think which was, I mean, I see Beersheva here. W- which was the most southern city represented at this fair? I'm trying to see the list here and figure it out. What would you say was the most or maybe, southern? Maybe um, Ramat HaNegev. Wow. I never even yeah. heard of Ramat HaNegev, and they were represented there yesterday? Yep. Unbelievable. Yep. We had Ramat and I, we have Look, we have people who go down south. Um, and that that has a different vibe to it. Right. We have a rod also. People right. like that as well. Those things have a different vibe. Uh, but I encourage people to check things out, really check things out. More and more Olim are going to these places every single year. Beersheva is, um, is happened in the sense that when you go, you see a lot of WeWork-type buildings and uh, co-working spaces, startups, investment in industry. 
And um, it, that offers always opportunities to English speakers if- because English speakers are so needed. And a person can go, and because they are um, an international professional, the local community, the local employment community is always very interested in speaking to them and having them come. People don't realize also that Beershev is an hour train ride. Right. Like, it's just not a thing. If Modian, it's an hour bus ride. If Modian is priced out for some North American Olim, would you say Beersheva is as well or not so severely? No, 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 not at all. Really? Not at all. Interesting. Yeah, Beersheva is not, is not as expensive. There's, I don't know how many people are able to read in Hebrew on the show, but if you are, there are two websites always worth looking at. One is Madlan, M-A-D-L-A-N, and the other one is uh, Yad2, where you basically go online and you can see the prices of uh, apartments. And then you call Nefesh Benefesh, and we tell you, are the Anglos living in that area? Right. What is Yad to? Like Y-A-D, the number two, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. It's secondhand everything. Oh, understand. So secondhand <laughs> housing, but they also advertise brand new housing. But it gives you a sense mm-hmm. of, and it has pictures, obviously, and it gives you a sense of the apartments and the prices of apartments. And then we can tell you, does that block, does that block the block that the um, Anglos go to? All of these towns, every town has a certain vibe to it that, you know, if it's if it works for you, you can really have an incredible experience. Look, I think people should be looking at this kind of real estate, whether or not um, they're on Aliyah, you right. know, because lots of people also want to do the half-half thing, right. living in Israel a little bit. You go to Haifa, you can, get a, you can get an apartment over the sea, be part of a big city. They're just all of these options, and then it's worth it to look now. These things have been increasing in price every single year. Unbelievable. Rachel Berger is with us, Director of Post Aliyah at Nevish Benefish. The second annual NBN Communities Fair brought together representatives from 45 communities around Israel to assist Olim in finding their ideal neighborhood. So now, I mean, look, the message has always been when you're considering uh, Aliyah, and when people go to the Nefesh Nefesh website and start the whole process, obviously one of the big categories was always housing. But I guess now, uh, for obvious reasons that you just discussed with us, y- you have to alert people that a lot of things you have in mind are not going to work, or they might work, but you need to really explore a lot of other options as well. I think that's the big takeaway for those who are still on this side of the ocean. No, I don't think that at all. I think if, if I were you saying it, I would I would phrase it so differently. It's like walking into a chocolate store. Everybody always buys the same thing, and I'm telling you that there are some amazing treats that are worth <laughs> looking at. And uh, and if you're smart about it, not only will you do good, but you will do well. Well, I approve you of know? your I approve of your dessert example. It certainly helps me understand it better. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, I appreciate you joining us this morning. I remind our audience that all of this information is available. Go to nbn.org.il, and obviously that's where you want to start the Aliyah process and start exploring moving uh, with your family to uh, Israel. And now, in May, as all the tuition payments are starting for next year, everybody, this might be a really good time to explore heading to Israel with your young family. Rachel, best to everybody. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Okay, take care. Rachel Berger, Director of Post Aliyah Nefesh Benefesh, a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM with a reminder that tomorrow is our big, and I mean big, 
Log Bomber special. Make sure to be tuned in between 6 and 9, maybe even earlier. We'll try to get on earlier, maybe 5.30 a.m. Well, yeah, why not? It's our own independent network. We can start whenever we want. So beware, everybody. We may be on in the 5 o'clock hour tomorrow as we start the big Log Bomber special right here at JM in the AM. Avedo de Kudisha Berihu, Ano, 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 Ayavedo de Kudisha Berihu, Ano, 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 Avedo de Kudisha Berihu, Ano, 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 Avedo de Kudisha Berihu, Ano, 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 Avedo de Kudisha Berihu, Ano, 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 Ayavedo de Kudisha Berihu, Ano, 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 Avedo 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 de Kudisha Berihu.
J.M. in the A.M., 8.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. In fact, i got to thank Kate Stewart, who's with us live via telephone, because she's in a, uh, a Western time zone, so she's really gotten up early to join us here at J.M. And there's a brand-new book. It's called A Well-Read Woman, The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport. Uh, growing up under fascist censorship in Nazi Germany, Ruth Rappaport absorbed a forbidden community of ideas in banned books. After fleeing her home in Leipzig at 15 and losing both parents in the Holocaust, she drifted between vocations, relationships, and countries searching for belonging and purpose. When she found her calling in librarianship, Ruth became not only a witness to history but an agent for change as well. Culled from decades of diaries, letters, and photographs, this epic true story reveals a driven woman who survived persecution, political unrest, and personal trauma through a love of books. It traces her activism from the Zionist movement to the Red Scare, to bibliotherapy in Vietnam, and finally to the Library of Congress, where Ruth made an indelible mark and found a home. Connecting it all, one constant thread, Ruth's passion for the printed word and the haven it provides, a haven that, as this singularly compelling biography proves, Ruth would spend her life making accessible to others. This wasn't just a career for Ruth Rappaport. It was her purpose. Kate Stewart, our author, is a third-generation librarian born and raised in the Midwest. Masters in history and library science. She's worked as a librarian and archivist for ProQuest, the Library of Congress, and the U.S. Senate in Washington. She's currently an archivist at the Arizona Historical Society in Tucson, Arizona. You can go to kate-stewart.com for more information. The book, entitled A Well-Read Woman, is a little a publishing house uh, publication available, of course, everywhere. Kate Stewart, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. Don't take this the wrong way, but you, <laughs> but, but you generally don't see the word passion and librarianship in the same sentence. 
Um, what does that right off the bat tell us about Ruth Rappaport if, in fact, her passion was for the printed word? <laughs> well, I would I would challenge that assertion. I think a lot of librarians are very passionate about their jobs. They really care about what they do. Um, you know, providing access to books, I think, is it's one of the most important things that we can do for communities. But I think, I mean, I think she's a person who is especially passionate about it. Um, she's kind of known far and wide for being a very assertive person, for always fighting for, you know, a bigger budget for her libraries um, and fighting against censorship in any of her libraries. Um, and even to the point where I know I interviewed people who worked with her, especially at the Library of Congress, who said she wasn't always a very pleasant person to work with. <laughs> but I think <laughs> part of that was really, you know, the passion that she had for the work. Um, the book banning, the, uh, right. the, 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 the whole topic, the whole, uh, area of book banning and, and obviously it's juxtaposition against, you know, be, being against censorship. I mean, complete total opposites. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, history making the man and things like that. I mean, was it that experience that you think as her biographer, uh, really jump-started this love and passion for books because she saw what certain people and groups were willing to do in order to censor the printed word? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think she had these incredibly formative experiences in Leipzig, which was, at the time, it was this you know world-famous publishing city. And she grew up in this famous neighborhood full of publishers and bookstores. And, you know, when she was about 13 was when um, book banning began in Germany. And she belonged to a Zionist youth group that used to pass, you know, banned books around to each other so they could read them. You know, she saw a book burning on the street. And those experiences, you know, she never forgot. And I think throughout her life, too, she kept coming across these instances of, um, you know, people trying to ban books or information. You know, she worked for a lawyer named Max Lowenthal, um, who wrote the first book um, that exposed, you know, what the FBI was doing in the 1950s. You know, he published this book in 1950. She helped him get that book out, even though um, J. Edgar Hoover was trying to suppress the publication of that book. Oh, yeah. I know, and, that. I know that story, right. right. Yeah, yeah. So um, she witnessed that, you know, up front when she was a librarian for the military in Vietnam. One thing that she did was try to fight against, um, there was this idea that, you know, that the troops there really shouldn't be reading any anti-war material. Right. And she made sure that they were going to have access to know what was going on at home, even, you know, to have, have a really wide range of materials about the war itself, you know, to have different opinions about what was happening in Vietnam. Um, even when she was at the Library of Congress, too, she did a lot of work to make sure that um, the subject headings that we use in catalog records, this is not something people think about a right, lot. Right. But, but, but somebody that, has to come up with it, right? Right, and yeah. and these are standardized terms. You know, they have to be approved and be you right. know, considered the official term used in, in all catalog records. And a lot of that language was really offensive. Um, and it wasn't really until the 70s and 80s that a lot of librarians started to push back and, and want those those terms changed. And she was one of the people who, who were leading the charge against that. Kate Stewart is with us. Her parents were lost in the Holocaust. How did she survive? Um, she was quite lucky, but I think also um, she made some bold decisions as a teenager. Um, what happened was uh, she was in Leipzig during Kristallnacht, and she saw that and walked around the city, and it really scared her. She knew that she couldn't stay. And she had two you know, older sisters who had both left Germany by that point, and she felt like, I can't stay behind, you know, even though there were some difficulties with her parents with getting out of the country for them. 
Um, so what happened was after that, you know, her school was closed. So her mother took her on a trip to Switzerland, a trip that she had been planning for quite a while. And then on the way back, um, you know, they were, the train was headed back into Germany and Ruth decided, I can't do this. And she jumped off the train wow. and um, ended up staying by herself for a year in Switzerland. Um, she got hooked up with a, an organization that was started to help, you know, Jewish kids. And she ended up staying with a whole slew of, of foster families over a year. She's kind of bounced around. Um, and then eventually, she, I mean, she'd been trying to for, for quite a few years to get a visa to go stay with. She had three uncles who lived in Seattle. And eventually, um, at the end of that year, she was finally able to get that visa and came to the U.S. You know, but her parents yeah, stayed not, behind in Germany. Right, unfortunately. Um, the um, At what point does she start to move up the ladder when it comes to librarianship, because when we, when we as lay people, you know, who are not really that familiar with librarian work, you know, see names right. like Library of Congress and you know, uh, and and you know, things like you know, we we assume that's the top of the heap, so to speak. When did she start climbing that ladder? Yeah, it was a long process for her. You know, she when she came to the U.S., she had a series of jobs as you know, a secretary, very low level positions for many years. She struggled to get through college. Um, but she wrote in her diary when she was 19, you know, I want to become a librarian someday. She knew that was her dream. Um, so it wasn't really until she was in her 30s that she was able to, you know, finish college and go to library school. And it was really um, by by accepting a job with the military, um, which, you know, in hindsight, I, you know, I kind of question, why did she want to work for the military after all that she had gone through? And, and these, you know, she was lived through two other wars, um, including, you know, the war in, in Israel in 1948. She was also there for that. Right. Um, but I think it was through the military. She took this opportunity in Saigon in 1963. There were no librarians, no libraries there at all for the military. And she took on this job to, to build a new library and to build these branch library systems at different bases. And she ended up turning that job into much more than anyone ever expected. We so never, we never, was, we never, you know, for those of us not really familiar with, you know, being in, on the inside of the military, we don't even think about that. How there are right. how there are such institutions as libraries? Common, yeah, <laughs> widely known that the that military, especially in the 1950s, that's when there was a huge boom in building libraries when the the military was expanding all over the world, especially in Asia, um, and Europe, um, and it was you know considered you know both important for for people in the military to be you know educated to know what what they were were doing in these yeah. different countries and stuff, and to have some some leisure time, but. Um, yeah, I mean, she she was so invested in, in building this library system. Her her bosses called it Ruthie's little empire, and I think she she was so adamant, you know, that every every man deserved, you know, the book that he wanted to read, regardless, you know, of how hard it was to get it to him. Um, and so she she was there for eight years. Um, she was really like a master of logistics, you know, of getting of ordering these books from, from you know, overseas and she, getting them to these men. She it's a really complicated, big system. She yeah. knew how to get stuff done, huh? <laughs> yeah, she did. She was really, I mean, and to the point of being annoying to people. And then she eventually, you know, was able to get this job at the Library of Congress and worked her way up there, too, to becoming a, a supervisor. Um, Kate Stewart's with us. The book is called A Well-Read Woman, The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport. It, it must be... I don't know. I don't. I don't think ironic's the right word. It must be satisfying for you that you're writing a biography about some and releasing a book about somebody who fought for books, who fought for you know against book banning, book burning, and censorship in general. There must be some you know some cool aspect of that that you're you know 
promoting and and really you know uh, enhancing her life story by releasing this. Yeah, it's something um, you know. I've been a librarian for a long time um, and worked in this world, you know, for several years. Um, I also my background is in history. You know, I was a history major. I went to grad school for that too. So this has been a great way for me to, you know, combine those aspects of what I really love to do. But also, um, I mean, that's I, I think somebody else maybe writing about her might not have focused so much on the librarianship aspect of her life because her life touched on so many different really right. interesting historical aspects. But for me, I always I was always finding this thread throughout her life about books, you know, what books meant to her, um, how she was fighting for other people um, to have access to, to books. And especially, you know, libraries for, you know, millennia have been kind of a safe haven for people, you know, as a place where, um, you know, you, you're not, you don't have to buy anything at a library. Um, and, access and, to, to what's there is free, and, you you get, know, and, and everyone you get, should be welcome. And you get to jump into ideas, which is so amazing, the ocean of ideas. Yeah, yeah. I think for so many disadvantaged people, it's it's been this wonderful place for them to be able to, you know, explore ideas, you know, to find themselves. Do most people, uh, do most people in your line of work, and I'm, I'm being serious asking this question, especially in light of the of the atmosphere in this country right now, uh, do 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 you have a certain pledge, and maybe even if an official one, where you are completely against censorship and um, and uh, I don't know boycotts of 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 books in the printed world? And I say that because today, one especially today, so many people make arguments about why certain positions or you know public statements or even the printed word, if it's you know reflecting a certain point of view, you know should not be out there. Can I assume that even if right. something is really offensive? To you, let's say politically, for argument's sake, uh, you would still encourage you know those opinions to be out there. Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, the American Library Association has all kinds of you know statements about this, um, lots of training about this when you go to library school because it's something that that especially public librarians and school librarians deal with all the time, especially materials for children, where parents you know are really concerned. They don't want their children you know looking at a certain book and they want it out of the library. Um, and then you even have all this stuff going on today with fake news, with people coming in and saying, well, I read this on the Internet. It's true, right? right. right. <laughs> or, you know, all kinds of books being published with, with you know, off-the-wall conspiracy theories. You know, and, but librarians, you know, you only have a certain amount of space in the library. There's only so much you can choose to put on the shelves. So librarians are always thinking about, you know, what is what is the best sources of information? What's the most authoritative? You know, what's what's the highest quality? That's always the stuff they're gonna want to go to. And of course, that can somewhat be objective, but you also have to think about the community that you're serving. You know, what do people want to read? If somebody requests something, if multiple people request something, you're gonna get that that for your community. Right. You know, it's funny, and 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 we feel this all the time because there's this balance we have because we are, you know, we we take our religious observance seriously so there is you know a measure of censorship that comes along with that we feel certain things are inappropriate as you mentioned for children etc and at the other and at the same time we try to take a position of we are not at all pro boycotts or pro censorship because we don't want others doing the same to us we want to have you know, be able to have our opinion and express through demonstrative manners you know what we have to yeah. say and you know etc et so it's a very you know often life presents these very delicate balances that are hard to uh that are hard to, um, uh, you know, navigate at times. Yeah, and, and it's a really difficult thing. Yeah, one thing that's been bubbling up in the library world is um, 
access to meeting rooms in libraries, and should every single group be able to, you know, even, you know, neo-Nazi groups, should they be able right. to meet in the libraries? And a lot of librarians are saying no. <laughs> like, we have to draw the line somewhere right. about, you know, what we believe, what we're promoting by, you know, allowing certain groups to, to meet there. What would Ruth say? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I think she would, I think... And the not and the Nazi question would no, and the, yeah the Nazi question would really be uh, uh, sensitive to her. Yeah, it would. Um, yeah, I know if they met there, she probably wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you that. What a fascinating but, look at history through one person. You did a great job on this. I got to tell you. Oh, thank you. Uh, check it out, everybody. A well-read woman. Uh, the Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport, as written by Kate Stewart. It's a biography. It's A1. Excuse me. It's a Little A. Little A Publishing. And I would assume, Kate, it's available everywhere at this point, right? Yep. It should be available at your local bookstore. And uh, Amazon and all that. Just search Kate mm -hmm. Stewart. Uh, I appreciate you getting up early and joining us. And congratulations on this. Uh, like I say, a very interesting look at history through the, uh, uh, through the uh, eyes and experiences of one very interesting woman. Uh, yeah, thank th you so much for having me. A pleasure. Thank you again, and good luck with the book. Thanks. A well-read woman, Kate Stewart, with us here on JM in the AM. Quarter before 9 o'clock. More coming up. It's a Wednesday at JM in the AM. Tarly, please, 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 please
J.M. and the A.M. with the Yeshiva Boys as we get set to wrap up our Sphira format. Uh, we'll officially transition to our regular format tonight. And um, uh, tomorrow, of course, our Big Log Bomer is special. I will try to start things at about 5.30 Eastern time with obviously the official start of J.M. and the A.M. at 6. Uh, as we will try to pack in as much uh, great music as possible tomorrow on our Log Bomer special. I hope you'll be tuned in want to thank those who've been so generous so far in our spring fundraiser. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A lot of great people have already returned the envelopes with their donations, and that's much appreciated. Uh, others have gone to the web, and I hope you would if you want to support this great show and this wonderful network. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Be as generous as possible and help us uh, keep going here every single day like we've proven for over 35 years. Talking about... Talk about investing in something that's reliable. I'm proud to say that we are reliable and have been for a long, long time. FJBUnity.org. Again, FJBUnity.org. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world, the web at on the Nachum Single Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And that will wrap up a, a Wednesday here at JMN. Bite Size next with Yoni Pollock, our community with the United Task Force at 10 a.m. featuring Pesach Tikva this morning. And Live Lunch with Avrami takes place between 11 and 1. We have amazing and incredible programming all day long. I am so proud to say. Tomorrow we're back, and you know what it means. It means Lagba Omer Music Blowout. Get set for an amazing day here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a fabulous Wednesday till tomorrow. Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.